I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure. I hope you cut out the part where I talk about the of work course. too. It's all going to get cut out. There will be no episode this week. <laughs> I'm just going to send you a blank WAV file. Um, <laughs> I love you. I love you. I MP for you. Um, MP for MP? Okay. I, yeah. I, I would MP friend. for you. <laughs> oh, I see MP. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. oh no oh that's no. the email i got in my freaking inbox <laughs> okay go on go on go on <laughs> So in the year 1865, Abraham Lincoln has been leading the United States for four years through the Civil War, through moral, cultural, constitution, political crisis. He preserves the union. He abolishes slavery. He modernizes the economy. He is this crazy giant in American life. I'm sure we've all heard of him. (laughs) (laughs) His wife is a woman named Mary Todd Lincoln, and in the year uh, 1865, Lincoln is famously assassinated. This is disastrous for the nation, but it's personally disastrous for Mary Todd, who is overwrought with grief. And so when she hears word that there is a place where you can see the dead again, she is understandably interested. Mm -hmm. This place is a photography studio in Boston, in which supposedly the dead appear on the images taken of the living. So you can get a portrait of yourself and somewhere in that photo will be a residual image of a dead person. So, and keep in mind that photography has really only been commercially available to Americans and only then the wealthiest for like maybe like 30 years at this point, give or take. So she heads up to Boston, she knocks on the door of the studio, and she introduces herself under a fake name. She doesn't reveal herself to be the widow of Abraham Lincoln. And because there is no affordable or efficient way to print photos in newspapers, nobody really knows what she looks like. I mean, people who know her do, but the public in general doesn't. And so it's compelling to believe that she was not recognized. So uh, do you know what her alias was? I don't. And I'm not sure that the record retains it, to be honest. All right. Let's say, um, let's say Denise Deloise. Denise Deloise. Okay. That's really funny. (laughs) (laughs) So Mary Todd introduces herself as Denise DeLuise uh, in our version of the story. And she introduces herself and the man who she meets introduces himself as William H. Mumler. He is a famous American spirit photographer. And he takes a photo of her seated in the left of the frame and behind her, above and to the right, is what appears to be the ghost of Abraham Lincoln. This is one of the most famous of the genre we're going to be talking about today, which is spirit photographs or spirit photography. My name is Augusta. My name is Eva. And this is the Phenomena Podcast. So where do you want to start? That was a wonderful start. Thank you for leading us in with that sweet Lincoln story. You know, I can't turn down a Lincoln story. Everybody loves a Lincoln story. Everybody loves a Lincoln story. Let's talk about how they had an exorcism and also she went crazy. Mm. (laughs) Um, 
wouldn't you? I mean, look at that face. Uh, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Um, hold on while I kill a bug. Um, let's talk about little girl petting a cat in the white shaded area. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah. So photography, as you pointed out, is pretty new at this time. So the Civil War was one of the first wars that was ever photographed, um, which also contributed to its reputation as one of the bloodiest wars, which is true numerically as well. But um, it, it it's especially infamous because there actually are photos of it. Sorry, God. Oh my God, I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, because there were photos of battlefields and photos of the dead bodies. Um, and so when spirit photography became known, it was much in the way that the Ouija board was as well. It was, wasn't as accessible as the Ouija board, but it was something of like a godsend or it felt like a godsend. Like the idea that you'd be able to take a portrait perhaps with the spirit of your dead husband or your dead son was like, I mean, that's the most incredible thing in the world. If you had just lost someone in a bloody conflict and you never got to speak to them again. Yeah, totally. And I think that, I mean, yeah, those fam those photos of the Civil War of the bodies are really famous. And part of what's famous about them is that at the time that they were released and listeners, you can just Google civil war photographs. There's not a ton of them, but they're, they're real sad. <laughs> they're real they're sad. Really sad, dude. Yeah. Part of the, um, I guess discussion around them at the time from what I could gather is that people felt that to see the dead alone, unmarked and unclaimed mm -hmm. was a disservice to their mm -hmm. spirits, right? That the dead should be brought home and mm -hmm. should be buried appropriately and should be with their families. It's like this different, yeah. I mean, not that different, but different conception of, uh, yeah, you know, heaven like, in the afterlife. It was heretical. Is that the correct, her, 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 heretic, heretic? Yeah, Wait. that's right. Yeah, it was heretical, the idea that you would publish photos of a dead person that's not like at rest in any way like it's I mean it's still considered in somewhat poor taste but at the time it was brand new and there was just a lot of public opinion <laughs> yeah and so then well the first spirit photographer maybe that would be an interesting place to enter into it was this guy Mumler, which Mumler, is why I bring yeah. him up, up top. Yeah. Yeah. Um, supposedly the first spirit photo he took was an accident. He was taking a self portrait and when he developed it, he saw his cousin in the picture, which like balls really mm -hmm. hard. Cause like if I were to discover spirit photography, it would also be because like one of my cousins just like showed up. Like, <laughs> that's like just hey. how, like, everything happens in my life. So like, <laughs> <laughs> one of your cousins shows up yeah yeah like if yeah. I were to be like a chemist and I'm like looking under a microscope and I'm like oh my god it's the cousin particle or whatever <laughs> that's physics <laughs> hateful um yeah so then so so Mumler was the famous one and, and he had he had critics and enemies as well but uh sort of I mean, many, it's not like everybody owned a camera the way that everybody owned a camera in the 20th century, but in the late 1800s, mid to late, into the 60s and 70s, it was more normal for somebody with money and with time for like the artistic pursuits or whatever to have a camera. So he developed this photo with the spirit of his deceased cousin. Um, at the time he was an engraver, but he was working on these photos in a photo studio down the street from him in Boston. That studio also developed the first ever aerial photography. Oh yeah. That guy had beef with them. Um, yeah. They had beef. <laughs> I was reading that Much one too. Respect. I was like, damn, I love beef. <laughs> I love beef. I spell like uh, beef. I spell like beef. 
But in this case, the beef is... Yeah, go on. So Mommler's a jewelry engraver. He takes a picture of himself standing over a chair, and in the chair is a ghostly figure of a young girl who he identifies as his cousin, right? Mm-hmm. This photo gets passed around from various people, and it makes its way into the spiritualist community to which he was tangentially connected. Mm-hmm. And soon it's published in the Herald of Progress, which is a spiritualist magazine out of New York, and mm-hmm. the Banner of Light, which is a spiritualist magazine out of Boston. Mm-hmm. And this makes him famous. And he opens a studio where he takes spirit photos. So at the time, as Eva was saying earlier, it's not that everybody had a camera available to them or even that everybody owned a camera, but the same way that you are able to go get, like that it's generally available to say, I don't know, go to the doctor, even though we're not doctors at home, like people are able to, I mean, I guess that's like a charged example, but people are able to go get photos taken. That's like mm-hmm. widely commercially available, even if cameras are not widely commercially available to people. And most photos at the time cost like 25 cents, like to get a portrait taken of you. Mm-hmm. Mumler's photos cost $10 each. So <laughs> these are for the wealthy. Yeah. But part of the experience is that he is this, it's not just that you get your photo taken, it's that he is like a theatrical grand performer. He does all these hand flourishes. He pulls yes. the yes. you know cover off the camera. He yes. shouts. He has a woman who comes to the studio and she claims to be able to see the ghosts while they're there. She does yes. rapping. Like, um, On the walls, uh, like, yeah. Uh, not like Hamilton. Yeah, she comes in and she's she- like, hi, I'm here to say that we're going to see ghosts in a funky way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that she's got her hat turned around backwards. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, she, she, um, and rapping was like one of the first, uh, was considered like one of, the, I guess, like the flagship yeah, the most- product of the spiritualist movement. Yes, it was like the earliest. I think we mentioned it in our, um, like, uh, in our thing about Ouija boards where it's like that was the 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 medium in which a ghost could communicate a message was like a series of raps yes and in seances they were big there too so that's like a calling card of the spiritualist movement so she's rapping everybody who would come to the studio if they were in any way connected which they would have been if they'd heard about rapping in the stew yeah (laughs) (laughs) so annoying um you know, they've, they've heard about this. And so they know what she's doing. She's supposedly summoning spirits. So really you're going for this whole experience of like the photo and the print. Um, there are a lot of attempts at the time to debunk his process that are actually fascinating. Um, Mm -hmm. Eva mentioned that, uh, one of the the studio that developed this photo was also the first studio to ever develop an aerial photo because there was a guy who went up, on a hot air balloon and took a photo from above of Boston. He was Mm -hmm. super famous. He was an established photographer. He'd been working for like 20 years at the time. And he came to Mumbler's studio and he tried to decipher his technique for how to... Oh, sorry. Just brief interruption. Take a moment to imagine a world where you've never seen an aerial view of a city. This yeah, guy insane. took an aerial aerial pictures of Boston. I mean, it is so crazy. So much of the way we perceive the world now has to do with top-down aerial views. And that is the way that many maps were drawn at the time. But when you look at older maps, you can also see that they're kind of drawn on like a three-quarters perspective, not mm-hmm. so much from above. But aerial photography, like, I mean, it changed the way we look at the world. Now, when you imagine the world, you imagine it looking at the top down, like, oh, I have to go to Claudia's apartment. Like, I'm thinking of a map of New York City from the top down. I'm not thinking about my view when I walk outside and then I take a left and then I walk down the stairs in the subway, even though that's also how you get to Claudia's house. But there are the way that aerial photography just, I don't know, whatever. It's not what this episode is about. I just, if you want just a little food to, food for thought to chew on, think about what your life would look like if you didn't think about the place that you live from an aerial view. And also think about, okay, so this guy is the first guy. Do you have his name on hand? Uh, Black. Black. So... Black is the first guy to get up in a hot air balloon and take a photo from above, but he has to get in a hot air balloon to do it, right? With all this photosensitive mm-hmm. camera equipment, this mm-hmm. is, you know, 
this is like a courageous and difficult project. He's a pioneer in mm-hmm. photography and is a very serious man in this capacity. He's like a self-made, mm-hmm. you know, and spirit over of independence. Boston, I mean, flying a hot Seriously. air balloon over Boston. Yeah. An indoor wedding above Boston. An indoor wedding in Boston. But yeah, like, I mean, the air currents above Boston are not, and now we know how to fly planes in them, but they're not forgiving if you've ever landed in Boston or taken off So this off is a brave, mm-hmm. which, you know, I never have, but some people have. Um, so this is like a brave. Nobody that listens to this fucking man. podcast. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> Since Massachusetts hates me. Okay, go on. So this is a brave man and he is like a skilled photographer and he's trying to debunk Mumler and he can't because he, he examines the camera. He watches him do his darkroom technique. He watches him do all the like polishing of the lens, which we'll get Mm -hmm. to how the cameras at the time worked in a little bit, but he goes through the entire thing and tries really hard to figure out how it is that Mumler is making these images appear and he can't Mm -hmm. do it. And what's crazy about this, he absolutely can't do it. And he doesn't conclude that the photos are real because he's a skeptic, but he's Mm -hmm. like, I, I, I don't know what's happening Mm -hmm. now. What's insane about this is that actually what had happened is that Mumler had developed a new technique of developing negatives, which would go on to be called the Mumler technique and would be used Mm -hmm. for like a hot minute as the main way that we develop images for Uh, newspapers. Mm -hmm. So he had invented an entirely new technique of photographic development, which ended up being what he became famous for, but it was pioneered to do spirit photography. Like Mm -hmm. it's insane. It's completely, I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's amazing to me. It's another thing that's taken a complete turn. I don't know. I'm just talking about the Ouija board because we, that's the episode that just came out, but um, it's another thing that took so, such a different direction that could not have been imagined. I mean, maybe he imagined it. I don't mean to discredit his um, clearly amazing, um, both like ingenuitive and artistic mind. Um, But like the Ouija board, which was a parlor game and yes, spirit boards existed, but now in 2021, what the Ouija board has done is like would be the singularity to Jacob Ford, you know. Totally. And what's and what's crazy is he was debunked in his time. Like yeah. it's true that Black wasn't able to debunk him, mm-hmm. but then <laughs> this is just yeah. so insane. Yeah, it's really insane. And in 63, he had someone sit for a portrait and the spirit that appeared was someone who the subject recognized as alive. Right. Right. Like he like went to take a photo and the guy looks at him and he was like, wait, that's Jeff. Yeah. But but I saw him just yesterday. Like, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) we had mentioned, I think I had mentioned in our episode about mediums and ectoplasm that uh, mediums would break into your house and steal your shit to learn more about you so they could pretend they knew who you were. And while that hasn't been proven, that's highly likely what was happening is that his assistant or he were stealing um, photos or portrait paintings from the homes of the subjects and just doing their gush best guess as to which people were dead based on where the photograph was and what was around it and how old the person was in the in the painting or photograph. Uh, yes. And they eventually you have to get, you know, it's only a perfect plan until it isn't. <laughs> it's, it's, it's only a perfect plan until you get debunked in the Boston Spiritualist magazine that originally made you I famous. Know. And right. then you pack it up to move to New York to start a new life. And then you get dragged to court for larceny and fraud. And P.T. Barnum testifies against you. If it Okay, here are some of the most shameful things that can happen to you in Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to go over it. Some of the most shameful things that can happen to you in Massachusetts. First of all, being published in a paper. That's embarrassing. Second of all, being defrauded by that same paper. Third of all, P.T. Barnum says you're a hack. You just absolutely have to kill yourself at that point. Like, your life is over. P.T. Barnum means 
everything to these people. He is the Larry Bird of their time. You just like your life is over. It's, it's over so crazy. for you. I mean, he was yeah, he died in poverty. Like he was destroyed by this. Even though Yeah. Even though I'm like uh, shaking as a Massachusettsian, like my, my heart, I have butterflies in my stomach imagining P.T. Barnum saying something bad about me in a newspaper. <laughs> it's crazy because he was acquitted. He was acquitted. Yeah. Like, well, what evidence could you, I mean, nobody understood what was happening. Like, no, nobody can prove it. Because the burden of proof for fraud is that it's not, is that. Yeah, you just can't. I mean, the burden of proof is not on him. He just couldn't prove it. Yeah. And I mean, as we said, he had invented a new style of or like a new way to develop these images. Right. And so which maybe I don't know. I don't know how dry our audience wants to get. I would be interested in explaining some degree how this worked in terms of the I would photos. love to hear you explain how it works. Okay, cool. Also, for those who don't know, P.T. Barnum is the guy of Barnum and Bailey's Circus. He was also like the mayor of Bridgeport, Connecticut, and like a philanthropist. And also, he basically like, invented New England. <laughs> but also, he's like widely known as like yeah. a celebrated hoaxman, like yes, famously fraudulent. True. So for him yes. to come on the trial and just be yeah. like, "This guy doesn't have it," it's like crazy. He's <laughs> like, "Listen, I know hoaxes." And this is a house. I don't know what <laughs> no, people from literally. Boston in the 1860s talked like. They probably That's have British probably right. accents. That's but, probably um, right. I mean, he was the guy behind like the Fiji mermaid and General Tom Thumb. Like he had all these. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. Um, this way he, to see the egress. Yeah. He was. Uh, yeah. Barnum and Bailey's. <laughs> he ruined this um, guy. And uh, also, if you're familiar with Tufts, the Tufts Jumbo. Their mascot is uh, an elephant that belonged to P.T. Barnum. You're kidding. I didn't know that. You didn't? Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> they were wow. like, you know what says take us seriously and we are an intellectual force <laughs> in the biotech giant that is Boston, Massachusetts? <laughs> an elephant that P.T. Barnum had. <laughs> and you know what? They were right. Yeah, dude. I mean, they are. <laughs> yeah. They, they are to this day. Okay, okay, so uh, a very brief history of photography. 1839 is the first practical photography. That's daguerreotypes. I'm sure you've heard about daguerreotypes. Them. I'm so sorry. So the first like practical photography that is widely used is introduced in 1839. This is a process called daguerreotypes. Mm -hmm. um, so ghost photography comes in a few years later with what we call glass plate negatives, which is not daguerreotypes. Daguerreotypes are like insanely delicate and hard to make. They're made on a sheet of silver plated mm -hmm. copper with fumes. Mm -hmm. They take like hours to make. They require mm -hmm. mercury vapor. And if you like touch them, they shatter. They're so mm -hmm. delicate and complicated. Mm-hmm. You have to like 3D print the person's smile like eight times. Like the process is psycho. Right. And they've degraded not a lot over the years. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're flat like a line. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. But then we move into the time of glass plate negatives. Glass plate negatives Wait, are... I meant that they're 3D. I'm <laughs> sorry, I just caught up to your joke. Okay, go on. <laughs> um, they're also three-dimensional. I mean, they exist on multiple <laughs> dimensions at once. That's how complicated they are. Uh, I mean, they stat like they're okay. Okay, go on, go on. <laughs> <laughs> so the glass plate negative was a more accessible way to do photography, though to us it still seems wildly complex. Um, but you were you could make them at home basically if you had glass, which not everyone did. Mm -hmm. So you got a glass plate, you prepped it, you coated it with something called collodion, which is like flash mm -hmm. paper and alcohol and ether. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like you coated it in like surgery goo. You sensitize the plate. You prepare the plate for the camera by exposing it. You develop the picture. You fix the picture. You dry the plate. You remove any particles that might have settled on the plate. And then you flow the plate with transparent crystal varnish. Mm -hmm. And then you apply a dark background to the plate. So basically what you're doing is you're putting something on a piece of glass, 
you're prepping it, you're taking a picture, which <sighs> already sucks applies, and is hard. Yeah, sucks and is hard. You apply shadow and light, like you apply darkness to the sensitization, like to the sensitized plate. And mm-hmm. then you put something dark behind it so that the like light parts stand out, essentially. Mm-hmm. Because all photography is just the printing of light, basically. That's what it still is. That's why the inside of a camera, if you ever look inside of a camera, there are, it's just like a series of mirrors. It's like a series of reflections and images. This is why lenses are like ginormous and curved in like many, many layers of glass, because you're trying to make a highly sen- like a highly light sensitive instrument mm-hmm. that is able to record the patterns of light. That's what photography is. It literally means to paint with light, right? Photography. So that is what the uh, glass plate negative process was doing. And even though it sounds really hard to us, people had access to these things in like major cities. And so it was a lot more possible to do it. Also, everything was hard. I mean, yeah, everything is, (laughs) everything is still hard. We've just outsourced it into the iPhone. (laughs) Um, and so in the process of spirit photography, let me basically, Basically what he was doing was he was doing double exposures, which Mm -hmm. as if you've been on uh, Tumblr or Instagram or have ever met somebody who self-identified as a hipster, I'm sure you've experienced the double exposure or if you were alive in the seventies. Or if you've been following the James Charles drama. Exactly. Double exposure is when you are able to expose film to light multiple times. And so it superimposes one image onto the former image, depending on the amount of time that you expose it to light, the image will be softer or harder, uh, clearer or less clear, I guess would probably be more helpful terminology. And so the idea being you, he would position, he would take a short image of one person standing in the studio and then fully expose the image with the person who was there in the studio to get their portrait taken. So the ghost quote unquote would have been somebody who was already, who already had their photo taken on this, Mm -hmm. not film, but on this plate. Mm-hmm. So that was how he was doing it. Um, but this process ended up revolutionizing photography. <laughs> mm-hmm. We still use it today. So that's this history of the very first spirit photograph. But spirit photography has a significant life outside of that because photography has a significant life outside of uh, the year 1863. <laughs> right. So, so in, in, in the late 1800s, um, spirit photography became more and more popular as people were able to use their own cameras um, and replicate this technique or take pictures of spirits. Um, and uh, the Ghost Club, which was founded in... Um, hold on, let me find. Ghost Club... If you're not a member of the Ghost Club, I don't know who you are. I don't know you. Respectfully, I am not looking. So the Ghost Club was founded in 1862. It's the oldest paranormal investigation and research group in the world, allegedly. Allegedly. Um, Yeah, exactly. So, like, again, the oldest paranormal investigation and research group in, like, America, probably. (laughs) Um, And so... So the Ghost Club was founded in 1862. At the time that it was founded... um, such names as Charles Dickens and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle were members, um, which we'll get into Arthur Conan Doyle a little bit more because he is going to be continuously relevant in the story. My man. I know. God, he's in all, he's in all of our episodes. It's like all of our episodes is like spiritualism and Arthur Conan Doyle making an absolute fool of himself. We should do a bonus on him. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, we should just yeah we should just get his name tattooed on my butt for a bonus episode okay so there was an english priest who also was a medium so again remember at this time this is before the full divergence of the church and uh spirit communication so this priest slash also medium his name was william stanton moses um (laughs) so good I know, it's such a good name. Okay, so, like, if you had to come up with, like, okay, he's an English priest, he's also a medium, and he also has taken taken it upon himself as his life's work to verify and or debunk 
ghost photography so as to identify true ghost photographs. What's his name? You'd William be like, Tilliam Billiam. Exactly. William Stanton Moses. So Moses, I'll just call him by his last name. But um, yeah, so Moses examined hundreds, hundreds of spirit photographs. And in his notes, he said that he believed that probably only about a dozen of them would actually be might actually be something supernatural. And he said something pretty controversial, um, which is that he said that there were some people, and, and this is the quote, who would who would recognize a sheet and a broom as their dear departed. <laughs> so funny. Which is so funny, but at the king. time it was, yeah, King. It's very rude. <laughs> oh, it's super like, rude. It's so rude. So, so he was right because there were people like Mumler who were doing fraud photography, but at the same time, he was not ready and nor were the ghost club to, they weren't ready to say that it wasn't happening. Right. So, so one of the ones so one of the most famous ghost photographs that is believed to be a fraud um, was done with a long exposure, similar to a double exposure. Um, and that's Lord Combermere. Did you see mm -hmm. this? Yes, absolutely. So, yeah. So he's just like a guy sitting in the chair. So As one of so the many of these are, it's really just a guy. Like you're like, you hear all this hype about the picture and you look at it and you're, and like, you're like, oh, mm, so it's a person. A dude. <laughs> Which is something that's interesting and will change over time with spirit photography because two things were true about it. First, they were the form of a person, which was a way that was, uh, mm -hmm. the fact that they're a form of a person was part of what led to the investigation to debunk them and made the investigation somewhat easier. Um because they could just be, once you find what the picture is or the person who is the ghost, you're like, oh, I found it. This is the ghost because right. the ghosts are always picture people. And then the second thing is that they always appear in the front of the photograph. Mm. So they're never, one of the things that's a little distinct about Lord, Lord Cumbermere is that there actually is an object in front of him. But in the double exposure shots that you were talking about, there's not a way because there's not photo editing. There's not a way to enmesh that set that first exposure into the world of the second exposure. Right. Because again, it, like you said, it's painting with light. So it's always going to be on top of each other and one in the same in the way that light is you know when all three of your mm -hmm. friends stand in a circle and your shadows are all on top of each other they don't stack they're just still shadows right. <laughs> <laughs> like so there's like no way to make it look like the ghost is anywhere except fully in the front of the frame um and that will also change uh as spirit photography goes on so so the lord comer mirror photo came out in uh, 1891. So yeah, it came out in 1891 anyway. And it was taken during his funeral. And then there's all the stuff about like, Oh, was there a servant who sat in the chair because the exposure took an hour, which is like, even for photos is at this time is really long. But right. then, um, we, and, and it, so that was like, there was a lot of skepticism there, but then world war one, again, our wars are going to continuously bring us, um, an uptick in desire for proof and communication with ghosts. Right. And so in world war one, these like remembrance photos became really, really big. Mm. Um, and, and again, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle <laughs> was one of the people who wanted photos that would represent or in some way be, a way for them to see and be with their loved ones again, which is sort right. of interesting to think about, I think, on a cultural level. Anthropology break. Because <laughs> if the idea is that somebody is taking a photograph of you with the dead spirit, with the spirit of your dead loved one, your dead loved one has to be there. Right, so, they're with you. So... If they're with you and you're going to have a photo taken of it, aren't they already with you? 
Yeah, the the I don't know if you'd really call it the metaphysics, but the like the philosophical underpinnings of this. This is one of the things that was interesting to me mm-hmm. in terms of technologies of proof, in terms of this arc, right? When we compare it to even like EVP, it's shockingly under discussed what is actually happening in these images. There's a lot of discussion about whether it's true or not, whether it's real or not, but there's something about the human image that is so distinct and personal in like our minds that it almost, Mm -hmm. it's almost obvious, right? Like, well, they're there, you know, you don't need to worry about whether you would be, whether if a ghost could phase through a wall, it would explode an atomic bomb or whatever, which. Right. That's a throwback to an old episode if you guys haven't listened, but like it doesn't, it doesn't seem to invite questions of the legitimacy of the ghost presence. It only seems to invite Mm -hmm. questions into the legitimacy of the process by which the image was produced, which I find fascinating. Like you're not curious why this ghost would just be chilling right behind you in a photo studio. Right. Like what? Like, and I think that, um, I think that Mumler's technique with it being sort of a whole production and having the medium there, I, I can understand the experience there of that being a spiritual experience. And then you have this photo and it's like you going down the log flume or whatever, but (laughs) really, really was hoping for a lap on that one. It's a, it's a ride at, uh. So it's a ride at amusement parks. And then you oh, 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 and oh, like, oh, 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 I see, I see, I see, I see. <laughs> oh, um, oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, but, but yeah, I just think it's interesting that it's like, do you know they're there? And so then you're like Mary Todd Lincoln, right? So it's like in her mind, which we'll never know, in her mind, is Abe, yeah, that's right. I call him Abe, work tight. Is Abe <laughs> in the carriage with her all the way from Washington to Boston, walking behind her into this pho- photography studio, standing behind her and posing for a photo? Right. Where or, it's like. <laughs> or did she need, like, yeah, like, like, were you getting the photo taken because you wanted to know if he was there? In which case, what if then he's not? And then you're like, oh, he's dead. He can't leave the White House. Like, there's... Right, or the theater where know. he was assassinated. Right, for example. Like, I... It's very curious. It's And I think it's like, because it was such a technological... Uh, what's something that's, what's it called when something is like new and exciting? What's the noun for that? Marvel novelty? Yes. Novelty. Because I think maybe because it was such a technological novelty, it was like, go and see the technological novelty. And then also maybe you have a ghost attached to you. I don't know. It's just interesting to think about because it's like, it's not like an EVP where it's like, oh, maybe the ghost is here. I want to know what it has to say. Instead, it's like, oh, I think the ghost is here. I want to know what it looks like. Oh, it looks like the dead person that I knew. Like zero surprise there. Like there's not. Right. It, it, it almost seems to. There's not a personality. Yeah. And like the novel, it's, as you say, the novelty of the technology overshadows. Well, I wish that the ghost we is had flipping off the camera. To, yeah. <laughs> the ghost is real shy. Yeah, it, the ghost has two peace signs up. Teehee. I mean, you have to assume that part of Mumler's charm and ability was that he could make this make sense to people, that that was part of right. what he did, and that we don't have access to. I mean, it's a shame that we can't know what was happening in the studio at the time. I know that right. the articles written about it in the spiritualist magazines claimed that he was able to record images of the dead. But again, it's like you say, it's like, that seems like it should invite questions. About even what the dead are doing. Right. I mean, it's the same problem we come back to again and again with paranormalism, which is that as we move into a place in which things in like it's so easy to take up the question of validity or non-validity and it 
is confusing to me that believers or professed believers don't take up questions of action, inaction, or... Right. Like, what is the ghost doing in its free time? It has nothing but free time. Why is it there? I mean, I guess in this case, the idea is that it was summoned. But it's interesting because as you say, and as I know, we talked about this a little bit off mic, now spirit photography rarely if ever in like a legitimate context conjures the physical Mm -hmm. image, like a full physical image of a person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit about the way that it's changed because I can keep going through sort of the next couple like examples that I have. Yeah, go for it. So, um, so then we had William Hope. William Hope was the guy who took photos for Arthur Conan Doyle and other people in the uh, 10s and 20s. Um, And it was, Uh, He was exposed as a fraudster, (laughs) as they say. He was exposed as a fraud, um, and he used a slightly different form of double exposure that essentially involved inserting a glass plate with the original image into the lens of the camera before the person ever got there. Um, So, but even when he was exposed, people were like, again, with Mumler, like, I mean, Mumler was more ruined by it, but, but hope no matter who said it wasn't true, the people who believed that it was true kept believing and he worked until he died, um, and did very well for himself. So the first major shift that happens, I'm just going to skip 40 years. The first major shift that happens is in the mid thirties. Um, also in England, there's a photograph of a staircase, a photograph of a staircase in some manner in England. Um, And the person who took the photo says that they took the photo because they saw um, the form of a woman beginning to form, like the ghost of a woman Mm. sort of like materializing. And they took this photo. So it's called the Brown Lady. um, And it's believed to be a lady who lived there. <laughs> I can't remember her name. A lady who lived there and has been haunting it since she died in the, the 1700s, like a long, long time previous. And so two things about this photograph that are very different than the previous spiritual photography that we've seen is that first, allegedly it was unplanned. Second, there's no, more, more than two things now. First, allegedly it was unplanned. Second, there's no subject. There's no human subject. It's not, let me take a picture of you with your relative. It's like, yes. here's a picture of a staircase. Yes. And then third, the form is anthropomorphic, but it's not a person. Right. So that's very different. And that sort of set off what we now that's the first of the new generation of spirit photographs the same ones that we see today and the things that characterize these spirit photographs are not sitting down to take a portrait and also there's a ghost in the portrait the things that characterize these spirit photographs are a location that either has a story an ambiance or an aesthetic of haunting Mm. And to a non-human, but possibly anthropomorphic, but non-human photographic irregularity that is interpreted as a spirit or could be interpreted as a spirit or is a spirit. Yes. Which is really not where we started. (laughs) Right. It's so fundamentally different. Right. Everything about it is different. Yeah. In fact, it's almost opposed because at the time when spirit photography began, if you had showed someone a daguerreotype (laughs) or Mm -hmm. a, you know, a glass plate exposure image and you said, hey, there's mad orbs on this. I think those are ghosts. They'd be like, no, you dummy. You got dust on the plate. Like, right. Right. All distortions in the image were understood as a natural part of a new technology that was difficult and finicky to use. There was no understanding of there being a natural or a normal image, which was sort of free of residue or interference. The idea that that residue or interference would be ghostly in nature would have been 
sort of nonsensical. Whereas right. now, if you were to show someone a photo with like, <laughs> with like a cloudy white figure of their dead dad behind them, they'd be like, you photoshopped that photoshopped little bitch. <laughs> yeah. It's like so opposing. That's such, yeah, that's such a good way to explain it. Like, yeah, there, there's been a complete, the Venn diagram is two dis- disparate circles, you know, of, right. of spirit photography pre-1936 and spirit photography post-1936, which is when it came out. I looked it up. Um, yeah, now everything you say is like, everything you see is like, oh, it's a hotel that's haunted. I mean, even the very nature of ghost adventures, which we've talked about and we'll continue to talk about you can see the fundamental shift in the idea of attachments. Mm. So you start with, start with, whatever. You have in the era of spiritualism and previous to the era of spiritualism, the idea that ghosts are communicating or attached to or related to or can be photographed near a human relative. So the dead live in the living or on the living or somehow in orbit of the living. And then now you have the idea, everything is about locations. So everything is about locations of great emotional trauma, um, locations where people died, locations that just seem spooky. And then it's like, let's go there (laughs) and take photos. Let's go there and take videos. Like you go from the Swedish man recording the voice of his dead uncle to now the tour guide telling you that Emily Lazarus's ghost causes you to get consumption in the the house. It's the stone tape, right? It's the, Mm -hmm. it's the, we've, we've moved from, it's weird. It's weird how at least the history that we've done up to this point is so tied to these technologies of proof. Like, obviously that's the focus of this arc, but it almost seems mm-hmm. like this cultural imagining of ghosts shifts from mm-hmm. a very personal grief, trauma-based, you carry the dead with you. You know, it's like that Robert Montgomery poem that was real popular in like 2013, like mm-hmm. the people you love become ghosts inside you and like this, you keep mm-hmm. them alive. Like, mm-hmm that 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 is uh, a deeply felt sort of interpersonal quasi-religious quasi because it's not inherently but I think it was implicitly is if -hmm. not explicitly understanding of the afterlife to one in which we I don't know there's this sort I mean I think it's partially because we focus on America in which Americans are so displaced from any sense of like place-based identity Right. In a long-term intergenerational sense, in a that sense. yeah, you know, the haunting and mm-hmm. the hauntedness becomes displaced, and we're only able to capture it through outside technologies because we sort of can't trust our own senses. It's strange mm-hmm. how that. I mean, like, and the break is the Civil War. I mean, this started, mm-hmm. you know, literally as I said up top. Like, it really is. A Blinken was assassinated, and then you know, Mary Todd got this spirit photo. And then like, you can we're take right pictures there. of ghosts. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, there's something very, I mean, it's like doesn't sound like a hot take, but like the cultural reset of the Civil War, like it's so it's not I don't want to say insidious, but it's so layered. It happens on so many levels and there's so many other things, the confluence of other technologies and developments at a similar time. Mm. along with the cultural impact of that and the cultural context of the civil war is like, there's just like no field that doesn't touch and the paranormal, because it is deeply entrenched in grief and relationships and technology. I think it's like one of the most prominent places to see the turnover, the t- the cultural turn. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that, I don't know. I mean, as you have this rise in consumer technologies, you also have this rise in American identity formation yes. as, uh, 
you know, there are like successive or I guess maybe progressive waves of immigration and wars and Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. naturalizing of various groups and this sort of creation of the immigrant experience and that as like a founding myth of America and Mm -hmm. all of that, which is outside of the scope of what we've talked about for the most part so far, all of that serves to create an American identity that is very, very in the present or like one generation back, but it almost seems like the farther we move out from the civil war, the more, the more it becomes haunted. Like the Mm -hmm. haunting becomes more progressive because the more ghostly it becomes, it's like, there really is this figure in the background of American Mm -hmm. history that it's hard to focus on directly. Mm -hmm. And the preoccupation with proving it fraudulent I mean, preoccupation makes it sound not intellectually rigorous, which I think it is. It's, of course, worth figuring out if these things are true or real. It's mm-hmm. more just like the focus on that so shows, I don't think it does this, but I think it shows this, how sort of diminished any kind of large scale cultural understanding of grief and mourning is. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like, I don't know. It just, it feels like the way that we learn about our own grisly history is by being titillated through ghost tours and true crime. And it's like, mm-hmm what a what a conflicted haunted culture we have here that mm-hmm. we can't even address these things head on that they have to be like a shadow under the bed or whatever and if you like that you'll love the Avery Gordon book about ghosts great book it's a great book what's your funny thing baby I was just going to say the last thing I want to leave people with when you're looking at spirit photography and, you know, I'm the last person who wants to debunk the paranormal, but in the year 2021, when you, as people who live in the year 2021, look at a photo that appears to have, you know, a paranormal element or there's some kind of, you know, vapory, I just want to remind you that up until like 11 years ago, Every single person in the world smoked cigarettes. (laughs) So if you see something in a photo that you don't recognize, I want to remind you that it's probably cigarette smoke. Bye, y'all. Bye.